Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the show, guys. In today's episode, we have some chat about wheel depth at Nationals, a whole deep dive, actually, into Nationals. Our fellow YouTubers are announcing their sponsors this year. Is that a good thing? A post-event existential crisis? And is your Garmin-suggested training a joke, or is it making you fitter? All right, let's get into it. All right, the Aussie Nationals road race happened over the weekend. Luke Plapp won on Sunday, and he did so right. He did so running some 30 mil wheels. Now, yes. last year he ran seven, he ran 60s. Yep. Luke doesn't do anything by chance. Like having dealt a little bit with him in the past, he he's meticulous. This guy, when we raced a little bit with him, like way back when, he was running wax chains before, like we thought they were for candles, right? What's going on here, do you think? Have you got any theories on it? You were in the race yourself. I love it. I personally love it. Go back to the shallow rims. I ran similar depth wheels. I bought new wheels for the race, the Windspace Hyper 35s, and ran those. I I think it's come back around. Yeah. So back in the day, we would run the lightest wheels we could, like the box section alloys, like the Fulcrum Racing Zeros was like if you could get a set of them, you were happy because they felt really good. Then we get, we went, we've gone through the aero era where everyone just wanted deeper wheels, deeper wheels, um, particularly because people would say, oh, I've run this uh, wheel set through um, a, a sort of a calculator that told me it would be five seconds quicker up a climb because I'm going 25K an hour or I've used best bike split and it's calculated it to be that, right? That was kind of novice level uh, measurement of speed. Now I think we're coming around and we're starting to realize that it's not just the calculated speed that is the only factor. So I think he's run... Now, for those that don't know, the Nationals course, it's 16 laps of about a 20-minute loop, and there's a six-minute climb in it, which is averages about 6%. So it's, average speed of the race is about 38 kilometers an hour. So... As a whole, the race is kind of borderline between you You want to run your aero wheels for like the flat and the downhills. Then you also got to get yourself up the climb. So you don't necessarily want the extra weight and resistance from that. So Plappy running the 35 mils, I think comes down to one thing that can't be measured, which is acceleration, mm -hmm. acceleration out of the corners. Mm. Because... Uh, we all know yeah, when you're going 28K an hour, an aero section wheel is going to be faster. But it's that, it's that kicking out of the corners, which mm. I think is the reason why we're starting to come back around. I think it potentially leans a little bit into his race tactics as well, which was 
you to follow. Like at, at no point really was his tactic to go on the attack and be be super aggressive and be out solo off the front where you would therefore be using the arrow gains. His his tactic was clearly to try and follow as much as possible. What do you need to be able to follow? You need acceleration. It's funny you kind of mention the acceleration thing because like that's totally playing on my mind all the time with that mosaic stuff that that we put up about like is there something in that that I'm missing in in those in those discussions which maybe we'll get onto later on today in the show but yeah I, I kind of feel like you could be onto something that we're going full circle because I reckon right I reckon there are guys and yes I'm not sure is this officially my title that I'm allowed to use now but the COVID babies I reckon there's a whole group of them right who have never run anything less than a 50 mil wheel. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they haven't experienced the joy, as you said, the fulcrum racing zero, right? They haven't experienced the joy of that two or three pedal strokes. Whoop! That per- so that the person that only runs 60s, mm. I reckon would think I'm mad for running 30 mil deep wheels. They'd go, oh, but you're averaging 38k an hour. You'll be way faster with a set of 60 mils. They're way, further, they're way more aero. But until you've ridden a set of 30s, you don't really, you can't appreciate the feeling of the, the bike, especially when you get out of the saddle and ride. Um, that it works. The other thing as well, let me let me explain this right, because I've I, I got the Vision Metron 55s. They're mm-hmm. my normal wheels racing wheel set. The on paper, if you just if I was doing a time trial around the course, they would definitely be faster than the 30 mils. But here's the thing, right? Even if I save, there's a few things to this. Firstly, on the flat sections in the downhill set, you've got, you've got to take into account how you're actually riding the race because we're not doing time trials. So it's all I'm going to say, oh, well, they save three to five watts on the flat and the downhill sections. But if I ride a good race, I'm in the draft every downhill section and every flat section, in which case the aerodynamics is meaningless because I'm drafting anyway. So there's that. And I would say... If I do happen to be on the front for some reason, riding like on the top the, of the first lap, yes. we won't talk about that. <laughs> riding on the flat um, for a certain section, for, for me, right, with a threshold of 400 watts, the metabolic sort of cost, the energy mm. cost of doing 300 watts versus 305 watts doesn't really make a difference. It's kind of much of a muchness. If I do happen to be riding on the front, which if I'm smart, I'm not doing. But what does make a lot of a difference is a, let's say, a three-watt saving because that wind space wheel set versus the Visions saved me 550 grams from the entire weight of my bike. Wow. Yeah, quite a lot, right? Yeah. Let's say that saves me three watts, three to five watts on the steep section of the climb. When I'm doing that at 480 watts, when I'm on the limit, Five watts there is literally the difference between me blowing up and me being able to stick with the group. And that's where you can't, I feel like we're starting to come around and people are almost getting it. Like maybe five years ago, the real switched on people were like, oh, you're more aero, so you go faster. And that was sort of like, you were kind of ahead of your time. But now we've gone almost over that. And it's like, okay, we understand aerodynamics, but now you've got to take into account the race situation and the other things in which case, you maybe you're coming back to the shallower wheel. Um, and then the other thing as well, as I was saying, coming out of the course, that, that acceleration, every time you have to get yourself up to speed, it's also not measurable. Mm, That's know. the other thing. I mean, you can measure aerodynamics and say you save five watts. How do you calculate all the energy savings from 
the savings in watts when you're accelerating back up to speed with a lighter wheel set. Yeah. I, as far as I'm aware, there's no way to calculate that. I don't know whether you want to bring this up now, but so one of those recent videos from, from Pete Talk, and he was talking a little about the aerodynamics of the rim brake versus the disc brake bikes and that there was just no measurable difference between them. The one thing he did stress was that the, the, one of the biggest differences you could find, apart from the, the rider obviously, is the marriage between the tyre and the rim. And, and to get that right, that frontal area of, of that particular part of, or that accessory, that component, is, is a bigger key to the actual depth of your, of your wheel. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, a while ago those Mavic wheels came out that had a little strip that mm. you installed to smooth that out. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. If you're, if you're kind of going back and forth, should I ride a 30 mil or, or a 50 mil, Actually, what you should probably be looking at, if you actually care about aerodynamics, is getting the right width and brand tire that works well for the rim. And you're probably saving more watts than the, the rim difference anyway. So Before yeah. we go completely off topic, because I do want to try and keep this sort of nationals-ish, and then we might talk about some components later on. Is So obviously you, you were in the race, um, you had a good ride, you finished, which is extraordinary for those of you who don't know the Australian nationals course. It's just horrific and normally sort of 10, 20 guys finish out of like 200 and Jesse did. So that's, that's amazing. Did you see – my question was though, did you see anything particularly from, from the elites uh, or from the pros as such? You kind of went, oh. A couple of things. Jeez, they use a lot of caffeine. Mm. A lot of – like I had, a, I had two caffeine, two beta fuel caffeine gels which have 200 milligrams each in them and I was planning to use them in the second half of the race and I got – I got an hour, uh, I was like an hour and a half into the race and I was like, I need my, I need the caffeine early. Like I, I really need it. So that was probably my mistake. But like, you know, go through the feed zone an hour in and guys would like sort of lift their jersey to dump their rubbish. And like caffeine, uh, little caffeine, the little caffeine bottles, like five the hour shots. energy shots, yeah, the caffeine yeah, yeah. shots were coming yeah. out. Yeah. All right, we've, we've, we've just started. Like we've literally just started. And I was like, oh, yeah, interesting to see that. And I was like, oh, like. Yeah, I guess if you really are using caffeine to get everything out of yourself, you're pumping it from the start and you're probably mm. taking way more than just your one or two gels for a little boost. I mean, they really don't, they'll, won't hold back the pros. Mm. They'll just yeah. take what they need to to get over. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. Um, cooling wise, a very hot race and unique that you, because it's loops about every 15 to 20 minutes you're going through there. So you get a chance to go through the feed zone. Um Interesting seeing Luke Plapp had, I think he must have had four or five people in the feed zone giving him stuff. But every lap he'd go through, he'd have an ice cold bottle of water and he would, a plastic bottle, and he'd dump it all over himself. So essentially the entire race, he was covered in water. He was yep. soaking wet. Yep. And a couple of those laps I was going up there looking at him, just pouring this cold water on himself. And I was like, oh, I wish I had that. Like, I, and, and I planned well, like I had it all planned out, but you, you, you can you go to a race and you just go, oh, there's something I didn't think of, yeah. and it's it's kind of frustrating when you've you know there's obviously I can't really complain. There's probably people that were way less prepared than me, but yeah, they just especially Plappy's probably a unique individual. He is. Jay's he's probably a, he's similar. A, yeah, planned. You know, they yeah. just yeah, just stuff I didn't think of, which was interesting. Um, yeah, and then I guess the talent is obviously crazy. I think so, one of the best rides I'd have to say is actually Caleb Buen. Um, you know, for a guy who only got back to Australia, I think maybe 
before he was doing Heffron's. That was maybe a month and a half ago. Did a couple of Heffron's. I've been riding a lot. He was up in Sunshine Coast. And then he's like riding away from me <laughs> up the climb as a as a sprinter. You know, he's obviously can climb. He's got some climbing results like up the Poggio and Milan San Remo and stuff. But it's just really impressive seeing pros who this isn't even their target race. I, I, don't, I don't know how to frame this question. I don't know if it's a question or a statement, right? But like I wonder whether we give professional cyclists enough credit for what how good an athlete they are, all right? And the, the reason I ask that is because, okay, the, the common thing is that you hear is like, oh, he's a pro, and then the next thing is, well, he's paid to ride his bike type thing. So therefore he's going to be good because quite simply he's just or she has had time. Like it's just a pure time thing. You're just spending time on the bike and that's going to be equate to your ability on the bike. But I kind of feel like that undervalues a lot of the time the actual talent of these people. Like you know, not taking anything away from, from you, but you could train as much. You could do the exact tra- – maybe you did do more training than some of the guys in that race, but you're never going to be as good as them no matter what. And it's it's like that's because they're the zero point zero zero one percent of athletic capacity, the ability to metabolize the, the nutrition that's being put into them, and and adapt to the training and that kind of thing. Does does that sort of question slash statement make sense? I mean, it rings true for me. I yeah, I think people you know, people kind of might ask me, oh, you like you you still got you still got goals to go pro, and mm. I'm like, you don't you. It's almost rude to a pro to ask me that. Like, you don't understand how good they are. And, and not just good because they train hard, but good because of how talented they are. And, yeah, uh, you just – it's always shocking when you race them, um, you know, how good they are. Now, it's not all – some of it's physical. Some of it's also they are so incredibly good at positioning that they're not wasting that 10 watts through the uni section that you are. And and all that all those ads all that stuff adds up. But yeah, they're just a. Every yeah. time I do a race with pros, yeah, you realise they're a, they're Not another cut above. Right. So this year, Jesse, I think we're in store for now. You know, potentially close your ears here, but I think we're in store for almost a twenty thousand US dollar specialised SL eight. Right. And look, that it's a crazy number. Whatever. There's. There's videos out there, the Road CC one talking about the price increase, etc. We talked about expensive bikes the other week. We're not going to go that route. What? There, there seems to be this thing that exists with Specialized specifically and we've heard it a bit on other podcasts, other media about, or, and we're just in general chat, right, mm. that people are like, oh, but it's such a good bike, you know? Mm. But it's, but it's, I, had this, I had this exact chat on the weekend Dan Forsyth with you on the hill. And I had this thing. I was like, it's going to be 30 grand Australian. He's like, ah, but it's going to be a good bike. And, okay. Can, can you <clears throat> help me, Jesse? I don't know if I'm going to be much help because there's, my thoughts are like scattered. I don't, it, there's nothing coherent here. The first thing, Road CC did a fantastic video that charted inflation and then what the expected price of the top of the range bikes would be and what they actually are. And the price increases are astronomical as everyone knows, but they did a great job of sort of breaking that down and pointing that out, which I liked. Um, yeah, so 
what do I think about this? But it's such a good bike, Jesse. I'm willing to pay for it. It's such a good bike. Here's where where we're starting to get, I feel like we're getting some clarity. Okay. There's the mate that says it's such a good bike. Okay. Then we've got guys, which we've already brought up so many times, like Hambini and, and Peak Talk and stuff, that actually go out and test the stuff. Oh, sorry, sorry. So you've got the mate that says it's a good bike. You've got the marketing material of the brands, which say it's so and so much better. And you you're like, you really want to believe it. And then you go out and people that do test it, inevitably on pretty much everything they test is, ah, uh, much of a muchness. Ah, uh, couple of watts, couple of watts there. It's pretty much just how wide your handlebars are. That's pretty much 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 what they say, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you've got is Chris Miller who goes and finds a titanium bike and does pretty unscientific but real-world testing on it and goes, that's pretty much as fast as my factor. And I'm going to race it. Yep, and raced it at Masters Nationals and it was pretty good, fine. Are we close to a day where you go in a group ride and someone's riding the SL8? And they'd go, yeah, it's pretty much as good as any other bike. Like I think we're almost, I think we're almost at a point where you can't get away with what, with what the, you know, what you're hearing yeah, from a mate. Pretty much. I mean, you, you, okay, I'm not going to. Let's not go too far back down this rabbit hole. But yeah, I, I did a, I did a bike ride in Sydney uh, last night that is a pace line type thing, and we could have literally had. Cervelo S5s versus everyone else, right? It could have, we could have just had that race and it would have been pretty much 50-50. And you can't tell me that's about great local dealers or, you know, Yumbo Visma. That's the, oh, so-and-so's, so-and-so said that's a great bike. That's a great bike. It's clearly got to that phase, I think. Maybe it doesn't help because I said it was a great bike a couple of weeks ago. Oh, influencer. I've, there you go. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I, I just that I, I, uh, I've fallen down the... Yeah, I don't know, Jesse, but but look, as far as the titanium bike goes, I'm going to keep trying to test it and test all kinds of bits and pieces. So let us know down below if you want to see some and more of that stuff. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna carry on with it. I was going to get a bit personal with it, actually. So the post event existential crisis, I'm going to call it. I think everyone's experienced it. You go mm. and do your target race, your A event, whatever that may be. Might be your local fondo, could be nationals, which we just just had, and the next. The two or three days after it are so bad. They're really horrible. Where you just question everything. Um, it's really it, it's really hard to get through. So, I mean, I'll, I'll get, this might be a bit TMI, but I'll go into it. I don't mind. So, right. So, finished nationals. Um, now, there's the obvious things you start questioning, which is, oh, maybe I should have done that in training or should have done that or tried this nutritional thing. Um, so that's always a particularly uh, unhealthy, eh, healthy in a sense because you need to reflect on things, but also the things your brain thinks of two days after an event are most of the time not logical. So I'd recommend a lot of those things, write them down somewhere and assess them a week later once you can do them with a fresh brain. But as well, you start going like, what am I doing with my life? And it's which seems weird because all you've done is a bike race, which is pretty insignificant, but... At least for me, I find, yeah, you start really reflecting on stuff. So, like, for example, um, I have 
the training I did for in the sort of three months before nationals was a lot. Um, and now, because I've done like re- there was only ten um, domestic riders, non-pros that finished nationals. I was one. So now I'm like, oh, like I'm really mm. up there domestically. Mm. Like, should I press on and race more this year? Like, that's just where my brain mm-hmm. has gone. But then, and and the thing as well, like with my work, I'm I. I have my work set up with my coaching. Uh, how do I get into this? Um, this is good. I've got heaps of questions for you yeah. on this, actually. All right. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me try and – I, I want to go into it. Yeah. Mm. So um, the only thing is like to do that, I would have to keep my work at a certain level, which it, is, which it has, has been at. I'm, I guess I'm, uh, I've set myself up in a way where I can – work and live and still have enough time and flexibility to train a lot. So then now, so the idea was, you know, just do nationals, you know, you one last thing while you do it and then just, you know, focus um, back, you know, keep growing the coaching and, and do that sort of in 2023 because I have room to do that if I wanted. Um, yeah, and focus on that. But now I'm like, oh, maybe I should just keep my coaching at the same commitment I'm doing now and not grow it and just keep riding and train more. And now I'm going through all these like things which are not good. Like nothing I'm really thinking in my head is logical because it's all off the back of a race. But I think we, I think most people, maybe not to the degree I am, because riding is such a large chunk of my uh, life. So brutal. Was was there a moment where you were you um, stepped back and enjoyed enjoyed your result because? You know, it was it was a really good result. Have you spent any time sort of reflecting on just the pure positives of that? Not really. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the physical shape I was in mm. while I was training, so I kind of enjoyed it then. Um, but while I was doing that, it was actually the opposite. I was actually looking forward to thinking ahead to twenty twenty three and being like, "Oh, okay. Once I just just once I do this, I'll cut the writing back." I'll focus more on my business and I'll put my time and energy into that and I'll, I'll, I'll grow that because that's what I want to do. But then <laughs> mm. now you kind of get there and you're like, oh, actually, I race well. Maybe yeah. I should keep, keep, keep that going. I mean, it's, it's, there's a, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but I, I, it was, it's a, that particular event as well because, because the, the goalposts are so difficult in the sense that, you know, you probably went into that that race knowing you weren't going to win, okay? Okay, there's, there's, an, there's a, a percent chance that you might have won the race, but you would know yourself that that's a very, very small chance and, and similar-ish enough for a podium. So outside that, the goals become kind of like quite difficult to sort of just nail down in that race because it, that race can play out lots of different ways. So... I wonder whether that's played a little bit into you because immediately you're sort of going, well, you know, I was so close to that next step and that mm. next step. So it's kind of hard for you to just say, well, I failed or I succeeded. There's no sort of obvious kind of path for you there. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is, you know, you you spent the whole drive or the last couple of weeks talking about like, oh, you're just going to blow out. You know, you can't wait to blow out and all that kind of stuff. And I sort of felt like after the event, you kind of were just almost going through the motions of blowing out. You're like, 
Uh, I suppose I've, I've talked about blowing out, mm. so I suppose I will if I have that's to. That's it. So that's it. It's because like right events, not just nationals, but any event is such like a bubble mm. and it's this saying has come up so much recently, but it's like it's a storm in a teacup, I think is the saying, where it's you're so focused on this thing and then you kind of lose all perspective after it um, and it's really hard to get back into it's almost like a post, it's like a little post-event depression. Mm. You kind of go back to your regular life and it's, yeah, and it takes, it's hard to get through that, that period after. What about, what about the fact that you're super fit right now? You're like, you've achieved a level of fitness that, as you said, was probably the highlight of, of the whole experience for you was just how fit you got. Is there a part of you that's kind of like, oh, it'd be a real, Shame to waste this. That's that's but what it's toxic. It's mm. totally toxic ah. because to a de- well to the degree that I'm thinking about it, it is because I've got so many other things that I could achieve and focus on and spend my. En- it's not just time. It's not just time as well because it's it's energy. It is like time. What's time? You can get. I could get up at five a.m. and ride. Like it's not just time. It's just en- it, it, it's energy um, as well. And while you know what. For like the last eight weeks of training, all I was looking forward to was not training and just enjoying my, you know, doing something, focusing on something, putting that energy, my sort of excess energy into something different. And now I kind of get there and my brain is like done a flip on itself and just wants to keep doing the same thing. And it's, yeah, it's very hard to make decisions in the post-race, you know, fuzz. Yeah, brain fuzz. I I do feel like for me mentally, I have to gonna I'm gonna have to go a bit cold turkey with it, and and you know when yeah. you're sitting at 145 CTL, I need to get that that needs to get under 100 just for my own mental, um, you know, sanity. Nationals 2024, get that up to 200, <laughs> oh, 200 CTL. Start planning. Yeah. You and Trekkie now build, build. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else? That was really good. Appreciate you sharing that. Um. Obviously, guys, let us know if you've had similar experience post-event. Any ideas for Jesse? What he should get into? Any other hobbies? I suggested, uh, what did I suggest? Sailing? So I'm going to do Ooh. what I said I would do when I was training, which is take all that excess time and energy that I spent riding and work more on my business and do yeah, and do that. How long have you been on YouTube for, Chris? So I started the channel after the tap, so six or seven years, mm. I think. Yeah. Quite a long time. Do you have any YouTube mistakes, things you regret? Uh, yes. <laughs> do you care to enlighten? I've got one, but I want to hear yours first. What, what, are, you, what are your regrets? And we're going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole with this one. But, yeah, what, anything you take back? Yeah, I'm going to start. So we might do a few to and fro's here, right? This might be a regular segment for you, mate, because I've got a few. <laughs> um, so firstly, definitely uh, and too much family on the channel to start with. Too much of the kids, too much of um, Elizabeth. And, and not for the obvious reason, not, not for the reason that people sort of talk about, which is, oh, you don't want to show them the, you know, your family or any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually not that. It's Because what happens, and, and at the time when I was including the family in what I was doing on the channel, it was very much um, daily vlog type stuff, okay? And so so what would happen, right, is... I would be constantly in a family situation and monitoring whether that was worthy of filming. Like, should I be filming 
Catherine doing something at that particular time because it might fit the narrative of the, of the daily vlog that particular day. So there's that element to it. And, and the other part was that um, so it was really bad for my relationship because what would happen is, you know, you might be having a domestic, well, not argument, but in a domestic situation, right? But then you knew you had to film something, you wanted to film something. So you would switch on sort of vlog Chris for for that thing. And so, you know, then like you could have a situation where like, oh, you're only just nice to the camera and stuff like that. So <laughs> it just as a general rule, yeah, it was. it's just not nice um, and you won't really see me do too much of it. I've got I've got one which is actually relates to another YouTuber. When I first started making videos, I did quite a few. I What I would do is I would see a video on YouTube in the cycling space that I didn't agree with and then I would make a reaction video and explain why I didn't agree. And I did one on a, a video Cam Nichols did, um, and, but it was an old video he did that was sort of his personal experience with what he was eating and I did a reaction video to it, which I kind of still stand by what I said in the video. I just regret that I ever did it because I... Uh, I was sort of friends with Cam. I'd done a bit of work for him. And then I kind of did this video on him, which in hindsight, I just shouldn't have done. And the reason why I kind of brought this up as a topic is he did did not hold a grudge for that. And I just was quite, there's very few people I know that would just build a bridge and get over it. And I just have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for him for that so i made a video of him and i've been in touch with him recently just for he's been in touch with me for a couple of things and i said you know like um like nice to be in touch after after you know the video i did which i wasn't proud of he said yeah water under the bridge it's all good so yeah just shout out to to cam i think it's very yeah it's very easy to get petty Mm. um with those sorts of things but he was more mature all right i got one more uh while we're sharing um so yeah the the gcn should be cancelled thing Okay, so yeah, <laughs> um, completely. Okay, how do I, I want to say two things on this? I, I do regret it, and I regret it because I don't like the I don't like the title that we had for the video, which was "Should be GCM be cancelled?" Right, and because I, I think that was certainly the wrong language given the current climate of that word and how it certainly plays out in the US. Right. Um, and on top of that, I think the content – and, okay, the actual the quote that I made in that video was it's like watching play school, which I stand by, right? 100% stand by it's like watching play school. I watched it again before coming here today <laughs> to just to back myself up. Okay. And it is like watching play school, but play school exists for a reason. Play school's there to for young kids, for, for beginners, for, for, you know, it's afternoon TV, it's fluff. That's fine. It exists. That's cool. I got no issue with that. So GCN is like watching play school, but it shouldn't be cancelled, I think. And that's that's really all I want to say. Do you think though, like the cycling space on YouTube is kind of boring? Like kind of boring? There used to be kind of maybe saying this on the back of regrets isn't the right time to say it. But it's there similar. used to be good, you know, some good entertainment um on YouTube. People you know, that was like remember the Phil Guyman Durian Rider uh, sort of feud was kind of entertaining. 
and there's a lot of that in other um, sort of spaces. But it seems like in in cycling now, everyone just stays in their sort of silo, and there's just not much. Do you have a theory on why that is? Because uh, I do. I don't really. What's yeah? What's the what? What, right. what are we thinking? Well, as a couple of people at a Z grade level who have tried to do a, a little bit of you know topical, hey, here's our opinion. There's there's a backlash, and it's pretty like in your face the backlash. And so your immediate reaction is to just step back and go, not going to do that again. So I'll bring up the topic mm. and I'll say this is this is a controversial subject, but I'm not going to say this is right and this is wrong. Or, sorry, GCN, I just said you were great. Or you do a video about hot topics and hot takes and talk about whether bar bags are good or not. Like, okay, that's not really a hot topic. See, even this, even this chat, people will think is negative, negative. because we're yeah. sharing an opinion. Yeah, we're being too negative. But, but yeah. no, no. But I'm going to yeah. say it anyway. Mm. But what is the value in a piece of a piece of opinion-based content if all you're doing is bringing up a topic or bringing up what an opinion would could be, but not actually giving your opinion? We said that Trek bikes were dead. Right? <laughs> Probably another regret. Okay. And uh, and so by saying that or making the comment that, you know, we, we think the brand's under, underselling at the moment, you know, you're going to piss off track people. And they were pissed off. And they told us how pissed off they were. So the, the sad thing about the whole opinion thing is if you want opinions on stuff, the places you have to go to find it are really obscure. Like mm-hmm. you've got to go on a Reddit, subreddit and read comments to actually get like people's opinions on stuff or a Facebook thread facebook comment thread or reacting to an article on something it's just a shame that there isn't more opinions out there but i personally think it's a shame because i like reading opinion-based stuff let us know um down below so what is the balance here is are we just being negative by by sharing our opinion on on these topics have you found somewhere else on youtube that is is opinionated and will actually have these discussions. So let us know down below. We would would really like to hear your thoughts on it. Bit random. Did you see Ineos are sponsored by Sun God Sunnies this year? Uh, only reason is because I saw Garrett Thomas can't run his poor jawbreakers anymore. But yeah, don't you reckon that's totally random? Yeah, I thought Sun God was just some cheap internet Sunnies brand. Like a couple of the Aussie domestic teams run them. And I didn't really have any, I had nothing against them, but I just didn't really have any respect for them. They just look like one of those brands that pop up and, um, and that sort of thing. And then I saw Ineos, Ineos are wearing them. Like, wouldn't that cost a lot of money you, to sponsor Ineos? You would have thought. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this system, look, the, the Ineos budget clearly is not, under pressure but what i would say is this that there would have been a time back you know when ineos were just putting lightweights on their bike and saying stuff you shimano we're 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 ineos we're going to put lightweights on because they're the best going around right there would have been a time when ineos would just go we don't care how much you're going to give us whatever your sunglass sponsorship is we're going to run Oakleys because they're the best. Now, as we all know, they're not the best. Arbor Optics are the best. But um, they would have been. They, and all their riders would have been, no, nah, we, we want to stick on, on Oakley because we're used to them, we love them, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I, the only reason I say that is like I wonder whether 
under it all, there is a little bit of a, maybe we do need to just top up the budget a bit because UAE have got this and Jumbo have done that going on because... Like you said, like it's a bit of a random brand. How much would they be giving them? Well, like I'm on, yeah. I was on their Instagram, right? Because I'm like, they're not that big a brand. 153,000 followers on Instagram. The reason I didn't really give them any legitimacy is they've got like no engagement. Their photos will get like 300 likes, 274. But then they sponsor Ineos and they also sponsor um, Formula One. What's his name? Uh, I think Re- Daniel Ricciardo wears them. Oh, did. And the McLaren team. All right. I, yeah, yeah. Here he is. A photo. Uh, so a photo of Daniel Ricciardo wearing your sunnies on your Instagram account, and it's got 166 likes. What? Like branding uh, is weird. What is going on here? Branding is very weird. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going. Any on. Any ideas? Here. Someone's maybe someone that watches will have some like what and what's in it for Ineos? Like, how much money would a sunglasses? I mean, it's great for a sun god. Mm. God, like, yeah. They will sell like I had literally ha- never heard of <laughs> yeah. them. Never heard of them. And have no intention to hear of them really much ever again. Because yeah, anyway. Sunglass fashion, just quietly. Sun can, can I just can I just transform this into sunglass fashion? Go for it. I reckon they're on the wrong route. I think we're gonna go smaller. Mm-hmm. I reckon trends from twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, we're gonna go back to some sort of old school Lance M frame style things. We're gonna see because okay, the reason I say that is because you're seeing the aero helmets. There was a phase where aero helmets were like just the chunky ass, like that friggin' S-Works Evade thing at the moment, right, which is, I'm sorry, horrendous. But you're, you're starting to see aero helmets look stylish now. So, you know, the um, HJC one's pretty good. The um, Met Met helmet's pretty good. Like you st- the, the Abus one, all right. Abus one, yeah. Can't get it in Australia, but no, looks no. good. Yeah, yep. looking good. And so, okay, so when they were full chunk ass, you had to run big sunnies to to complete the look because otherwise you just looked like you had this big, massive, like mushroom hat on and then tiny, tiny sunny spectacles. It didn't work. So you had to run big sunnies. Now with more stylish, smaller, smaller lids, you can get away. It's back to the old days. You can get away with a lighter thinner framed, thinner lensed sunglass. And that's going to be a good thing for everyone because I'm sorry, like just like the sight of guys like Vincenzo Nibali and stuff running these big chunky sunnies, you're like, mate, that's not you. It's the sunny, it's the brand's fault. They pushed it too far. They yeah. went too big. Too big. And now it's, yeah, it's flipped on its head. Even Jay with those big Psycon no. things. It's like, nah, nah come on. No, no. no good. No. Get the jawbreakers back on. Get, the, get them back on, Jay. That's that's the secret to success, as you know. Yeah, so there's your fashion tip. Those interested in Fashion Friday, it's uh, it's small sunnies are back, all right? Small sunnies are back. Let us know your thoughts down below. Why are Sun God interested in Ineos? And would you be buying little sunnies in 2023? Okay. <laughs> Chris's Creators Corner. No one has given me uh, <laughs> any better title or any intro music as yet. I don't know whether that's the just lines. a between the lines <laughs> situation. What's going on on YouTube? Well, it's the beginning of a new year, Jesse, and what I have noticed amongst the YouTube cycling vlogging community is that many of the brethren uh, are announcing their 2023 plans and their sponsorship agreements. Phil Guyman did a really, I actually watched a full Phil Guyman video. I found it very interesting. We went 
through all his sponsors that he has brought on board for the year. He has talked about what they want from him, um, what he gets for them, all that kind of stuff. I was a big fan of it, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, watch so it was actually, yeah. it's actually bloody good. Um, a bit of a mind-blowing to actually how well sort of integrated and, and assisted he is, but good on him, well played. Um, so other guys doing it, just quickly, I'm going to read some of these. I know just Ed Laverick did it, uh, Dylan Johnson's done it, and Alex Dorset has done it as well, just announcing their sort of plans, et cetera, et cetera. Playing a little devil's advocate here, is this bad for road cycling teams? Because, you know, ultimately then, you know, you've got brands then putting their money into into these YouTube people or influencers, whatever you want to call them. That's money that could have gone into, into bike racing, into sort of amateur bike racing all over the place. Yeah, it's probably bad for teams, but I, I think teams domestically have probably gotten away with murder a little bit uh, and have, yeah, have been on the gravy train in some cases a bit too long. So it is nice to see the, the, some of the individuals um, getting more support because I, like, I just think they move the needle more for, yeah. for the brand. So it kind of makes sense. Well, for yeah. a brand as much. It's, it's a much smaller. I mean, hey, talking from firsthand experience, it's a much smaller, uh, a much easier sell to a brand to support one person who's got one sort of outlet than oh, give us 14 things and we'll hope to provide you some things around the country. Here's the thing as well. A lot of the teams don't need the stuff. Correct. It's this weird smoke and mirrors thing where it's like, you're on, like not talking about world tour, but sort of under world tour. It's kind of like you have a team, you sign riders, and then to look good, you all have to have, you have, to have the same bike. As individuals, a lot of those riders probably don't deserve to have the support of a brand and, and a bike. Half the time they don't even want the bike. They, they probably don't even want it. And the only reason it – maybe the only reason that it kind of went along for so long is because the brands weren't really sure where else to put their – You know, it was just what you did. I mean, you support a team if you got a brand. Now it's not – yeah, I think it's, it's a bit of a – It's a vicious yeah. circle, isn't it? Because it's like – the teams are trying to to look pro, quote unquote, but everyone knows that they're not pro. But to get the riders that you want on the team, you've got to kind of have the look of the pro thing anyway. So then you're back to trying to look pro to get the right. So it's just this endless sort of loop that goes around that doesn't actually serve any purpose. Prime example of why I prefer Wahoo over Garmin. You turn your Garmin on. Uh, when we were in Ballarat. And on the home screen is suggested workout for the day. And it was a threshold session with two by 18 minutes, zone four. Who in the history of cycling has just turned on their Garmin and followed a threshold session? Like, why would that exist? It blows my mind. It's classic Garmin. It's just everything... I thought you said they'd gotten rid of that stuff because yeah, I was going on about how good it was because they had the solar panel and you're like, oh, yeah, they've cleaned their act up. But, well, That okay. was a big lie. <laughs> <laughs> so they've cleaned it up in the sense that you can turn all this off. Like you can turn all this just... There's, you can? It's like, oh, yeah, you, okay. you can turn off all... There's this whole 
pro pacing strategy that you can use on it that tells you how fast you should, how much power you should put out at a particular moment to try and go as fast as you possibly can. There's there's high traffic warnings. There's there's uh, sharp turn warnings. You name it, you can be bloody warned about it. And yeah, the the suggested workout thing, it only seems to come in two two suggestions. I'm either doing a threshold session or base training. That's basically all I'm doing. That's (laughs) all I'm doing. And a rest day. It's desperate for me to take a rest day. It's like, what are you doing to yourself? So, yeah, it's uh, it's there. It exists. I'm sorry. But, you know, hang on. You've you've you delved a little bit into the into the HRV world and kind of backed out of it during during nationals. Like, you know, not as a coach, I backed out of it as a rider. So I started track using the HRV for training app every morning, taking an HRV reading since mid-October. And it just hasn't given me anything useful. I really wanted it to be useful. Oh, I want this to work. I, yeah. I want it. So there's two, there's two things. Firstly, this, the sensitivity of the reading is, is, is quite hard to get accurate. So it needs to be taken when you first wake up. You have to go to the toilet before, so go to a pee, come back to bed. You can't take the reading lying down. You have to be sitting up and you can't check your phone. Like you can't do anything that stimulates you. So like even just to get the accurate data is is hard. Like the data you get off like yeah, a whoop good. strap during mm. the day is not consistent enough. So you do the morning reading. And then even if you do that, which I've been like pretty good at doing, it's never really like there was a few of those rides we did where my it says my HIV was low, so I listened to it, but I still don't know why. I still mm. can't link that to anything of why it was low, and I still don't know what would have happened if I had done the hard workout on the day it said I should rest. Um, when I got sick, it showed that I was sick, but I already knew I was sick, so that wasn't that useful. And then there was days where I was tired, and it said I was okay. Mm. Uh, it's just, yeah. But, oh, and ultimately I think at the end, like you knew what was coming, like you knew race day was coming and it was getting to a point where, you know, if it if you'd woke up that day, did the test and it told you you were in the red or something, like, well, well now what? Like, Well, on yeah, on race day you, there's not, yeah, it's not, it's more of a training tool. Like if you uh, it, it, I was low like the three days into the race, but I think pretty much that's because I was so anxious. Mm. Every time I, my heart rate was so high because I was just yeah nervous for it. But like as a coach, the dream is you have this objective tool that tells you how fatigued and under stress an athlete is without having to like take into account their personal kind of opinions on it, the subjective opinions on it, and just have it sort of automated so it's there. I just haven't seen it. I haven't I, – I just – yeah – it's just not been act for me. Hasn't given me enough insight that I can use it, which is kind of a shame. Because yep. Shame, it's not there yet. Are you guys trying HRV? Have you tried the Garmin suggested training? Let us know. Have you got fitter as your threshold's going? All right, let us know down below. All right, guys, super stuff. That is it for this week. Make sure to check out the links to the previous episodes down below and the podcast. Make sure to go and rate us. We hear that is a thing that you should do on podcast players. All right, guys, we will see you super soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 